Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host Sam Brooks and I'm joined by Raphael Jukobin, Jake Smalley and Tom Serra. Welcome guys. Thank you Sam. Okay, well uh, this is the first podcast that we've done since uh, last Tuesday, so only one place to start really. Um, some terrible news came through last week of Diego Maradona's passing from a uh, cardiac arrest. Um, plenty of tributes have poured in for him since. Uh, but I want to come to you first, Raphael, to ask, um, you know, how, how do you, what do you see as his impact on Serie A football um, after his seven years in Napoli, such an iconic player in the league? How, how will you remember him? I mean, just the fact that the two, the two Scudetti that they won were with him and they, they, haven't won a, 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 they haven't won the league title since or, or before that sums it up, really. I think if, if there's one lasting impact that he has had on the Italian football, it's the fact that he sort of depolarised it in a way, you know, t- taking it away from the, the nor- taking away sort of from the dominance of the Northern clubs and giving that, that bit of hope to a, to a southern city like Naples that they could also compete with the big the big boys and just give them that give them that hope because you have to you have to look at the context as well the sort of the socio cultural context that the south of Italy is all, has always been quite looked down upon by the north and there's a bit of a bit of a, maybe a bit of an inferiority complex um, there's quite a, quite a lot of animosity between the north and the south of Italy in terms of socioeconomics and um, and cultural um, cultural divides as well, and the fact that you know Maradona came in as he was the um, the world record transfer as well. He came in and he he's just he guided the club to those two league those two league titles. Really, just breathed new life into a city that that needed it. Just whether that's for its reputation or for for the people living there, really, and you can you can see that impact in the way that they reacted to to his passing. I mean, the the tributes all around all around Naples were just overwhelming, and even before that, you could you could see his impact just 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 walking through Naples. You know, on every street corner, you've got. You've got, you know, pictures of Maradona, his his, his shirts, graffiti of his of his face, on virtually every every street in the in the city. So he uh, he is really is just worshipped, sort of almost as a saint down there, and just sums up what what he means to them. So I think if if there is something he has done for Italian football, other than you know the the amazing the amazing goals and great performances he gave us was that lasting impact of breathing new life into into a you know into a club that really needed it yeah i think it's interesting uh, looking back you know that of course there's the amazing diego maradona documentary and you see through that um how you know at the time his move to napoli was quite a surprise because obviously they didn't have the um you know, they weren't seen as as big a club as the Milan size or Juve, for example. But he really made them such a such a huge side in Italy in that sort of mid to late 80s period into the 90s as well. Um, Jake, um, 
I think there's been a lot of debate as to whether he's the greatest player ever. Obviously, you have Messi in the equation and, and of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, Pele, those sort of good players. For you, is, is he the greatest player ever to have played in Italy, though? Yeah, I think it's a really difficult argument to make. I think when you talk about players from different eras, it's quite difficult. You know, you've got to imagine that, um, you know, you're looking at players in the 90s being the great Serie A players, you know, your Baggios and your Totties and, you know, players like that. And uh, I think it's a hard argument to make. <clears throat> I ultimately think that you could argue that he is the best based on what he achieved. You know, in, in, you know Napoli are probably a bigger club than, you know, some of the minnows in the Premier League, but it, it's similar to him going to sort of West Brom or Crystal Palace, you know, right now and taking them to the top of the league and winning the league title. You know, it's a club that was in severe financial difficulty to lead them to two titles in a European Cup, especially given what was going on in his personal life at the time. Uh, I think you've, you've probably got to make a very, very strong argument to say that he is the greatest Serie A player of all time, based on that alone. Uh, in terms of his natural ability, I don't think there's ever been a better professional footballer, in all honesty. I mean, I know you just mentioned Messi and Ronaldo, and I think for this generation, they are the two stand-up players, definitely. And you can talk about Pele and you know Johan Cruyff as well, those types of players. But for me, Maradona's the best player in the history of football uh, individually. So I think he probably has got to be Serie A's best player, but it, it is a, it is a tough argument, you know, when you you know point it together against players from different eras and um, you know different accomplishments. You know, it's always a tough argument. But for me personally, I'd say yes, yeah, yeah. That that seems to be the general consensus coming out this week, and of course we've seen. Um, I think something that has uh, you know really touched with me is. Um, there's been so many videos posted of him just really enjoying his football. Um, Tom, do you think that is perhaps one of the lasting legacies of Maradona as well, that it's not all about the stats and stuff that is so much what football's about now and it's just <clears throat> how much he enjoyed playing and brought so much joy to fans all across the world, really? Yeah, and I think he, not just his football, but the way he just represented, you know, we see all these players today are very naturally talented, very good, but they're very closed. They're very closed behind the media. And Maradona was very open about his political opinions, which we don't really see that today because of like attract as many fans as possible. But Maradona was very vocal about being like a very, obviously like a very left-wing individual. And you just have to also consider the context he emerged in, for example, Argentina, when they won the World Cup, Argentina just emerged from a uh, right-wing dictatorship, El Proceso, and he sort of represented a new era for Argentina as well. And yeah, and I think that's what he stood for as well. Uh, he's been, that's why he was, I think, partly like Rafael mentioned, why he was so popular in Naples. He was a very had a very working class background, and that when you compare it, for example, he played in Barcelona as well. He was successful there, but he wasn't as loved as much because Barcelona's main fan base obviously are mostly Catalans uh, at the time, who were much of a you know higher class within Spanish society. So Maradona didn't have that kind of connection with the fans, and I think. 
that's why it's just not just his football, but his ability to connect uh, with the people and the fans uh, who he played for. Yeah, certainly that seems to be the case. A lot of love from Napoli fans this week in particular. And so that brings us nicely on to uh, what we saw uh, this weekend. Napoli playing Roma. Uh, they wore kits that were sort of inspired by the Argentinian kit. Um, it was their first Serie A game since his passing and they beat Roma 4-0 in a very convincing win. Uh, Raphael, how impressed were you with Napoli with the way they sort of managed to channel their emotions in that game and um, and really, you know, dominate Roma from the off, really? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a performance that was fitting of the occasion, I thought. Um, you know, lots of quick, uh, quick attacking moves from, from Napoli. I thought... In a way, the sort of the defeat against uh, against Sassuolo for, and uh, against Milan did them did them a bit of good, really, in the fact that you know they have it sort of breathes new life into them. They've sort of got a figurative kick up the backside from uh, from Gattuso, probably, and um, yeah, no, and then their attack their attack is firing on all cylinders again. I think as a, as a unit, they look a lot more a lot more cohesive as well. Um, I think they they did they did also make the most of a bit of an off performance from from Roma, but but credit you know credit where credit's due, it was it was a great all round performance. Um, I think the fact you know the circumstances around the game as well made it just gave it that that extra aura in a way. I mean you saw um you saw Insigne after he scored his great free kick ran over to the touchline and held up a shirt with Maradona's name on the back. With with the number ten, obviously, which is retired, which has been retired by uh, by Napoli, so you know it's great to see that the players were were up to the occasion in every in every sense, really, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Yeah, you mentioned it was an off night for Roma. Um, it was actually their first defeat of the Serie A season on the pitch. Of course, they were handed a defeat due to an administrative error on the opening day against Verona. Um, Jake, do you think um, it's just a minor blip for them and you expect them to be back on it next week? Or could this now start to see them you know, possibly drop down the league a bit and, and maybe lose their form a little bit? Because I, I think a lot of people expected them to maybe be just in and around the Europa League places, but they have sort of really done pretty well in the opening weeks. Will they will they drop down, or or do you think they will still be able to maintain that that early season form? Um, well, to be honest with you, I was quite shocked that it was a four nil defeat. I thought they found it quite difficult, but I didn't expect four nil. Um, next up, they've got Sassuolo at home, so that's a bit of a crunch game. Both of those teams coming off the back of their first defeat, so it's a game that could go either way. And um, you know, if they can get a win out of that and get themselves back on a decent curve. And they've got some decent fixtures coming up. I've just had a look at the fixtures. You know, they play Bologna and they play Torino um, before they go away to Atalanta. And they've got back-to-back homes against Cagliari and Sampdoria. So based off the fixture list, they've not got a bad run of games. So if they can bounce back straight away against Sassuolo. And you'd like to think they could, as much as Sassuolo are a strong outfit. Roma have got that bit of extra experience in their squad. And, you know, before the season, you put your money on Roma finishing above them. So... If they can get a positive result against Sassuolo, I'd back on them to go on another decent run. Um, you know, 
I don't see why not. I've been pleasantly surprised with how well they've done because, you know, like we've mentioned before on the pod, for me, Europa League, Champions League is maybe a little bit beyond them, but could be done with a bit of a push. Um, but it all rests on that next game. If they can pick up a positive result against Sassuolo, they've got a good chance of picking up some uh, points over the next seven or eight games in Serie A. So, you know, just focus on that next game and they, they need to take it from there then. Get a positive result and look forward to a good run of fixtures. That game saw two sides who we expect to finish around, you know, sort of in the top six and they've been flying high so far this season. But no team has been flying higher than Milan who again picked up another victory this weekend. They're still undefeated. The only... uh, Sorry, Juventus were also undefeated, but of course they've had a load of draws. But yeah, still undefeated. Milan goes strong. 2-0 win against Fiorentina. Tom, was this another sort of tick in the box for them, given that they were able to win so convincingly without Zlatan Ibrahimovic? I mean, interesting uh, you said it was convincing. Yes, it was a convincing win. It was a 2-0 victory, did not concede, clean sheet, very good on paper. But I think when you look on the on the pitch performance, you could tell that they were missing Zlatan. And not just Zlatan, but Liao too, because most of their attempts were obviously scored from penalty and Romain Gnoli's header was from a corner as well, so from a set piece. But when you look at most of their attempts on goal and just like the kind of chances they were creating, they it was mostly long shots or trying to find someone in the box or missing you know uh, Rebic and I think when you see you know long shot attempts from Kalchenoglu and Kessie that's not their primary role on the pitch yeah it was a convincing win but I think you know in future games it could become an issue if they do not find this kind of creativity that they lack without Zlatan and Liao on the pitch yeah um Obviously, I think a lot of people were really interested to see how they would get on this weekend, given how sort of talismanic uh, Zlatan has been this season. Um, Raphael, given that they did manage to get a win and a clean sheet, are you becoming more and more convinced that they can maintain this run throughout the season? I think they showed at other points this season already that they can do it without without Ibrahimovic. So it wasn't really that much of a surprise that they were... They managed, they managed to function as a team without him. But, yeah, I mean, at, at the same time, you know, this Fiorentina side is not exactly too hard to beat. Um, Brandelli hasn't really made his mark on the uh, on the team yet. So, yeah, so there wasn't, it wasn't too much of a surprise to see them win. But, yeah, no, I think on the whole, though, if we're, if we're looking... We're looking more generally at the at the way their season's gone. I think the the signs are there that they can they even even in Ibrahimovic's absence, you know, moving forward into the into the second half of the season as well, they they can keep they can keep a good run going because this isn't the sort of team that depends on one or two players to uh, one or two star players to perform well. I think all across the pitch, all eleven players have been have been performing to. A decent, at least a decent standard all season. I think in the last few weeks, I think Donnarumma especially has been, been probably their standout player. But you have you have also got just across the pitch some some, some good performances 
yeah, definitely. They do, they do seem to be showing that they are far more than just a one-man team. Of course, yesterday they were also missing Ismail Benasser, who's possibly the standout midfielder in Serie A so far this season. Um, On to their opponents, Fiorentina, another defeat for them, another game where they didn't manage to score a goal that they haven't scored yet under Prandelli in his first two games in charge. Jake, you know, we seem to be going over the same stuff every week, really, but do you think they will come good eventually or could we see them dragged into a bit of an unexpected relegation scrap? as they were a couple of seasons ago when they only survived on the final day? Uh, I don't think it'll come to that. Although I was a little bit underwhelmed by the appointment of Prandelli, I thought, you know, I know it's not that simple. It's someone like Sari out there. I thought they'd been a bit more ambitious because they've invested quite heavily in that squad. And uh, just looking at them on paper, I think they've got enough in them to avoid having to sort of get dragged into a relegation scrap. And looking at their fixtures, they've got Jenner at home next up. So... If you want a game to sort of bounce back in, that's definitely one. And three out of the next four games are at home. Um, you face a trip to Atalanta after Genoa and then play Sassuolo and Verona at home. So there are opportunities there for them um, at their own ground to pick up some points. So if they can come through that spell positively, um, they should be okay. But you know, getting that first win for a manager is often really, really tough. So as soon as Prandelli can get that monkey off his back, then perhaps you know we can make more of a concrete prediction and however long that takes we'll obviously have a massive burn on that but I, I, don't, I don't think they'll fall into any sort of relegation scrap they've got too much quality in their squad um, you've got to remember as well a few of those players are quite new this year <laughs> the likes of Amrabat and you know Callahan's there now Biragi's come back after a year at Inter so they're sort of trying to find the best formula been playing three at the back for a large portion of this season and the manager's trying to change that so um, looking at the fixtures you know Verona and Sassuolo are not easy home games but if you're at home and you're Fiorentina you're looking at trying to get points out of those matches and you know they should definitely be aiming to beat Genoa next time out most teams will be beating Genoa at home this season so yeah just try and get that first win that's the main focus right now and hopefully they can put a bit of a run together and show a bit of promise because the squad's far too good to be doing as poorly as it is doing at the moment. That home game against Genoa certainly looks a crucial one for them. Um, as you say, things haven't worked out brilliantly under Prandelli in the opening couple of games, but they do have a massive chance to finally get a win next weekend. Uh, I'm going to stay with you, Jake, actually, briefly, um, because the next team we're moving on to are Inter, who got a 3-0 win against Sassuolo on Saturday. I think a lot of people had Sassuolo perhaps as favourites for that game, given the current form of both sides. But Inter did manage to pick up a convincing win in the end. In your opinion, was this their best result and performance of the season so far? Yeah, I think you could argue so, yeah. Um, it wasn't pretty at times, you know, it's a bit back to the wall at points, but um, more than anything, I think the reaction to the midweek performance against Real Madrid is the most pleasing part of it from an Inter perspective. Um, Inter sort of rolled over and died a little bit um, against Madrid on Wednesday night. I mean, they weren't helped by giving away a silly early penalty. And Vidal's rather ridiculous red card, but um, it was the manner of the performance. They started really well. They looked like they had a clear game plan. They restricted Sassuolo really, really well to any sort of attacking threat. Uh, they broke on through the middle once with Juricic hitting the post, but 
Other than that, I thought it was a pretty comfortable victory. You know, we know how dangerous Sassuolo are. And they certainly didn't give up the Nerevedi either. That, you know, they, they were pushing forward from the wings and, you know, trying to create something on the edge of Inter's box sometimes. But Inter penned them in really well and hit them on the break twice really early and they, they were just clinical. Um, I think it probably was the most encouraging performance we've seen from them this season. It was more like the Inter of last season. You know, one thing that I sort of, you know, want to mention is they, they looked like they were switched on. You know, watching Inter on Wednesday night, they didn't really look like they knew what they were doing. They were going through the motions a little bit. And they've seemed like that for the majority of the season. You know, no real sort of dynamism to their play. It's all a bit sort of sluggish. And, you know, whereas every player seemed to know what the game plan was on Saturday. Sit back, soak up the pressure, hit them. And they did that. And by the time, you know, Sasswell could sort of wake up from that, they were 2-0 down. So, you know, it, it gives them plenty of hope going forward and you know hopefully for them they can take into what's a must win Champions League game you know this midweek if they have any chance at all of qualifying for the next stage of the Champions League yeah it, it, it was uh, it was in the end a very a very good win for Inter and um, something I thought that was quite interesting was obviously last season Roberto Gagliardini possibly had the miss of the season in this fixture when he hit the crossbar from two yards out but he scored a lovely goal on the weekend and seems to have really sort of won Antonio Conte over in the past few months. Started a lot of games towards the end of last season and he's sort of getting back into the side this season as well. Tom, what, what are your thoughts on Inter? Um, was this a, a, a big step in the right direction for them now? Can, can you see them possibly going on a, on a strong run uh, at this point? Absolutely. And like... Uh... Jake mentioned they looked very sharp, which we haven't really seen over the last few weeks. So, you know, both their goals was about you know, quick movement, reacting, applying pressure. And I think what really stood out for me is their ability to use different tactics. And I felt there was a much greater emphasis in this game on instead of crowding around the box and, you know, playing it really short, quick passing within the box and trying to have a tap in, there was a bigger emphasis on utilizing not just the speed of Martinez and Sanchez but also playing longer balls to them up front and what really stood out I think Sanchez playing so well in this game really you know puts the pressure on Lukaku to continue uh, performing at this level so I think for in the long run for Inter this this result has been very important not just the result itself that they got three goals that they kept the clean sheet but the manner in which they won this match. For Sassuolo, it was their first defeat of the season. They've had a really strong start. Um, something that was a bit of a worry, though, when we saw some old habits creeping back in with some really poor defending at times. I mean, the first two goals were about as scrappy as it gets. Um, they're sort of in a similar position to Roma now, where they've suffered their first setback. Raphael, how do you expect them to respond? Do, do you think... They will come back strongly next week, or again, as I asked with Roma, could they now slip a little bit further back down the path? I think, in a way, um, there's quite. I mean, the comparisons of Atalanta have been have been done thousands of times, but I think, in a way, this is sort of it's quite similar to Atalanta in the sense that they they're getting a heavy they they they're getting a heavy loss out of their system, so they can just carry on afterwards. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think if we look at the performance specifically, there was you know there was cause for alarm really. I mean, towards towards the end of the first half, we saw them coming back, 
getting getting a lot of chances to uh, to come back. Obviously, they they weren't clinical enough, but I think I think that's just that's just the case. It was an off day for me. You know, they they were unlucky. To, they were unlucky that the uh, the one game that it all came together for uh, for Inter was was against them as well. Yeah, I think it's too early to say that they're gonna that this is this is gonna be a turning point for them or anything. But it, it definitely is a shame to see them see them drop off drop off a bit. I think if we're looking over the long the longer term, I think Roma have more more tools at their disposal really to make to make their good start sort of last throughout the season. So if if I had to if I had to pick out one of the two to sort of go on and sort of get over this 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 um their heavy loss this week, it, it would be it would be Roma. Yeah, we'll have to see how that pans out. And um of course the, the next side we're now going to move on to our Juventus uh, defending champions. They've won nine on the trot going for ten but they're still struggling to convince, and, and that didn't change this weekend when they drew one all with Benevento. Um, Jake, was this another example of how reliant they are on Cristiano Ronaldo? He was left completely out of the squad so that he could rest. It seemed they were confident in getting a result without him, but it didn't pan out that way at all. Yeah, they're massively, massively reliant on Ronaldo. I think when it comes to tighter games and when they're not quite on it, you know, he'll just come on, he'll just rescue them a goal if he's on the bench or if he starts, he'll get them far enough ahead so that he can have a bit of a rest. Um, they look a bit disjointed to me. Um, it feels like a real transitional year. Um, it, it seems like a lot of the old guard are starting to come towards the end. The players who've been a massive, massive part of their success, you know, this past decade, I think, you know, they've each got another sort of year on the clock on last year. And last year, if Atalanta hadn't have had such a sort of slumped start and could have kept going towards the end and into Antidrome so many games, you know, I think the record of Scudetto sort of wins on the trot would have been broken. Um, and I think this year might be a step too far for them. Uh, I think part of it, the club might have seen this coming a little bit, um, hence the sort of short-term-ish sort of you getting Perlo in straight away. I think where Perlo's concerned, it's, um, you know, if it sticks, he's a you know a bit of a club legend to an extent. You know, he's a great player. You know, if we can turn a former great player of ours into a great coach, we look like geniuses. If not, we can sort of pin the blame on him and we'll get shut in and get a bigger name in when we've sort of got a bit more money together. Um, I, I'm not really too sure um, what to expect from them. You know, you've, you've got to also... You know, play a devil's advocate with that and say, you know, they've still not lost a game yet. You know, but they've drawn, you know, a couple of daft, silly ones that they, you know, last season or maybe before they would have won. So, you know, without Ronaldo, they're much, much weaker. You know, he can just turn it on at any moment and drag them through it. They look like a real team in transition without him. And it's hard to see the quality in that team, especially given the fact that they can't seem to get a consistent tune out of Dybala either. And um, that's a real worry for me. It does seem that, um, Pirlo some way of finding his best team at the moment. The midfield in particular seems a bit, you know, sort of lucky dip. Um, wide players could be anyone playing Kulusevski, Chiesa, Flabotta, Bernadeschi, any of those guys. Midfield hasn't decided on Artur, Bentancur, Rabio, Ramsey, all, all these players and he hasn't really picked it. And as you say, Dybala isn't producing the form that he did last season. 
Tom, for you, is this the most vulnerable Juve have been over the past decade? It's, I think it's a bit of a yes and no, because if you just look at the standings, like over the last few years, yes, they look vulnerable because they're not at the top, near the top. However, when we actually look at how tables have finished over the last few seasons, you know, last season, Inter finished, you know, one point off the top. And then in 2018, again, Napoli came close again with, you know, I think it was four points in it. And then the season before, I think I remember Roma had a really good season as well when they were like three or four points off the top as well. But the difference between now and then is that Juventus in the past were at the top and they were being chased, whereas at the moment they're playing catch up. So, yes. And I think, like you mentioned, that, you know, Pirlo still hasn't figured out his team yet. And I think when you look at his career as a manager, it's, it's literally just started. He never managed team before even though we've heard good things about his pieces for uh, his coaching badge you know you still need to gain that experience and I think he's learning I feel like at the, at the times I feel like he's learning on the job so Juventus in a sense are vulnerable but like Jake mentioned as well they still haven't lost the game so you can flip it in a positive way as well so we'll just have to wait and see yeah, they do tend to obviously find a way to win. And although they've won nine on the trot, as you mentioned, not all of those have been completely dominant victories. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's panning out to be a very interesting season, though. And two other sides who we thought, you know, could be challenging at the top of the table. Maybe the Scudetto was a bit beyond them, but still had an outside chance at Atalanta and Lazio. And they both suffered shock defeats this weekend. Uh, Raphael, I'll come to you first about... Atalanta, they lost 2-0 against Verona. Now, as we've seen this season, Verona are a very difficult team to break down. Uh, so they won't be the first team to draw a blank against them. But are you, are you growing more and more concerned with Atalanta? Obviously, they picked up a win against Liverpool last week, but that seems to be more due to Liverpool having a shocker of a night as opposed to Atalanta actually playing really well. So are, are you a bit concerned that they've now had sort of seven or eight games, well, so six or seven games at least, where they haven't played well at all. Yeah, I think you, you can't even you can't even really call it a post-Champions League hangover because obviously, yeah, as you say, Liverpool were just dire, really. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there's no, at the same time, yeah, there's no shame in having an off day against, against this Verona side because the way that Ivan Juric has coached them has made them a very difficult unit to beat. But, I think if we're looking specifically at what went wrong in the game, um, obviously their defensive issues came back to haunt them again. Um, Toloi conceded a quite a daft penalty, and ge- yeah, generally, generally the defence wasn't just wasn't there. And I think that's just been a constant throughout throughout the last few seasons. So that's, that's there's nothing new there. But as soon as the attack's not working and just coming together, then yeah, the results just just won't come. I think the 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 trade off there is a trade off with Atalanta in the sense that you need to have you know, the, the the attack needs to be playing in that gung ho fashion to make up for the just the poor defence, and obviously that's not happening right now. Um, I mean, I I wouldn't say alarm bells are ringing just yet because if we if we if we compare this start of the season their previous seasons they're not actually that far off um where they usually are 
So I think I think it it is it is a dip in form, and they they do they usually do have a dip in form around this time of the year anyway. So I think it's too early to judge whether they're you know whether whether they're in a crisis or anything. But I think for anyone who wasn't who wasn't expecting them to you know all full out win the title, I think it's not too much of a too much of a worry. Yeah, I think that I think the thing is this season that obviously over over the uh, summer transfer window they seem to have a very good summer again, bringing in Miranchuk and Sam Lammers, uh, not losing any key players. So I think after last season when they finished only five points off the title, a lot of people did think that they would kick on this year, but not really happening. And and for a team that have based themselves on just being such a good unit. They have been very reliant on Papu Gomez this season with Zapata and Ilicic not quite firing. So we'll have to see how they uh, bounce back in the next few games. Uh, and then, of course, Lazio, who have actually been in very good form, excellent in the Champions League last week, but lost 3-1 against Udinese. Um, Jake, simple question. Where did that result come from? Do, do you put it down to simply maybe their busy schedule catching up with them? Yeah, I think so. Um, that result was an absolute shocker for me. Um, I saw it at 1-0 and I, I didn't watch the game. And uh, I, I tuned in sort of second half to check the score and I saw it was 3-1. I was like, wow. Because, um, you know, simply Udinese are not that type of team who tend to, um, you know, cause, you know, shocks like that. They're, they're very much a lower-end mid-table side. It will be battling relegation this season. And to go away to the Olympico and win quite comfortably um, was a real surprise. Um, I just think it's as simple as what you've just said. I think uh, in terms of Lazio, they're just tiring. You know, they're having to put a lot in to get to win that Champions League. And to an extent, that's got to be a little bit of a priority. They've not played that competition now for, you know, 13 years. You know, we mention it most weeks. And, you know, so it's an opportunity for them to sort of perform on the biggest stage. These players have earned that over the last season. You know, if I hadn't been for lockdown, they might have had a better go actually, you know, attacking the title. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, given the threadbare sort of nature of the squad as well, you know, they can't rest players for the Champions League game. They can't rotate um, that much because they simply don't have the bodies. So I think it was the case of, uh, you know, the, the busyness of their schedule catching up with them. It was certainly a result that I didn't expect, and I can't really explain any more than that, really, because I'm just that shot where, you know, Udinese managed to go away, they don't win so easily. But I think, you know, a bit of a rest might do some of the Lazio players go, but you know, it's quite hard for them to do that given the fact that they've got such little backup in and around the squad. Yeah, I think we can certainly say that was the shock result of the weekend. So, um, be interesting to see how they also bounce back over the next couple of games this week. Okay, just want to go through the um, last few games of the weekend as well. Um, so on Sunday, we saw uh, Spezia rescue a last-minute equaliser against Cagliari. Um, and so, Jake, I want to come to you. Um, Spezia are doing a lot better than I think a lot of people expected. They've been written off by most coming into the campaign. But are you now a little more confident that they could stay up this season? I think so. There's no reason why not. Um... 
you know, looking at the start of the season, the the team probably the smallest budget, um, you know, having to have a couple of recent promotions to get to um, Serie A as it is, is you know, it's, it's really tough for them. And, you know, a, a large core of those players have been there along the way. So it is a big step up, but so far they're handling it really well. Uh, I think momentum on the promoted side is sometimes, you know, what carries them through that first year. And so far it looks like they're, one of those sort of sides who is going to come up and is still riding that sort of crest of a wave from promotion. Uh, I, I quite like what the manager's doing there, Italiano. I think he's, um, you know, one of the brightest young coaches in Italian football. Um, I was quite shocked to find out he only finished his coaching licence at the start of the season as well. But he's obviously a really good motivator. The players are, you know, firmly behind him and, you know, think a lot of him. And I think that sort of team spirit and, sort of buzz of confidence they've got at the minute is what's carrying them through. Um, you know, especially when they're coming from behind like they did at the weekend. You know, it shows a lot of character and a lot of spirit. And I think, you know, based off what I've seen from them so far, I think there's certainly worse team than them. And uh, I think, you know, there's a really strong opportunity for them to, you know, make sure they're a Serie A club this time next year. And that'd be a massive achievement for such a small side. Um, in the Serie A debut, you know, I'd be really pleased for them if they did so. So far, um, they're more than holding their own. Another game that ended two-two this weekend was uh, Monday evening with um, Torino against Sampdoria. Uh, we are recording this on Monday evening, by the way, guys. So we won't be able to touch on Genoa Palma as that hasn't finished yet. But um, yeah, this game two-two. Um, Torino have now got two draws and a win from their last four games. So starting to turn things around a little bit after a shocking first half a dozen games or so. What what are your thoughts on them, Tom? Are you now confident that they can maybe push up the league a bit further under Gianpaolo? It's difficult to say because, I mean, we are following this game during while we were recording and Torino got their equaliser quite late. Uh, obviously, we haven't watched the game, so we don't know how they play. Um, but they do have uh, Juventus, I think, coming up next. And Udinese as well. And I think if they can get three points from Udinese, they would be on the right track. And with, you know, Fiorentina struggling and Benevento as well. Not, no, Benevento is not struggling to pick up points. They're just not, you know, they don't have the capacity ability to really push on in terms of the budget and uh, squad but yeah I think Torino I mean the level of level on points with Parma so yeah I think they do it could be start of a process of you know their fight to prevent relegation yeah seems seems they're certainly in a better place than they were sort of two or three weeks ago so that's a positive for them uh, and then of course we have Bologna who Praise the Lord, have finally kept a clean sheet. It's been over a year, but they have managed it. Uh, they beat Crotone 1-0. Uh, Raphael, what were your thoughts on that game? Uh, Bologna having a pretty strong season so far. Uh, whilst for Crotone, another defeat. They've only got two points. Are they pretty much down already, do you think? I think on the evidence of the game, I wouldn't say Crotone... Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't condemn the relegation just yet because they, didn't, they did show... A few interesting, uh, interesting passages of play against Bologna. I think Bologna, sort of paradoxically, the the performance wasn't actually that good. Um, you know, they missed a lot. They missed a lot of chances. They weren't that cohesive in defence. But I think, yeah, the I mean, the 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 main thing is that they did finally get that that clean sheet. It was um, it was forty-one games 
since uh, yeah since 41 league games. So since this, since last September, the 14 months ago when they uh, when they last kept the clean sheet, which is impressive. I think they were what they were one match of um, of equaling the the, the all time record actually. Yeah. Which uh, yeah was uh, was held by uh, by Bordeaux in my team. So I'm uh, I'm a bit disappointed about that. But yeah, no, it was it was a good it was like on paper it wasn't that that strong a performance, but I think the fact that they are getting these these results and just sort of building up a decent a decent amount of points is is a very strong statement from uh, from Mihailovic. I think he's got he's got the team playing playing well, even if there is a, a lack of finishing touch. I think Orsonini as well. He's Orsonini is one of those players who hasn't quite worked out how to sort of make the most of his talent and get that end product going. But but yeah, I think on the whole, I am I am quite hopeful about about Bologna. I think I think the, the I think the future is is bright for them. I think this season we can expect a mid table mid table finish, which is about you know is about right for them. And then who knows? Who knows what could happen afterwards? Yeah, we'll have, we'll have to see how they how they get on. But as you say, Bologna do look good for for mid table. Uh, and Crotone, as you said, have shown a bit of fight in their last couple of games. Uh, so last part of the show, I want to touch on the European games coming up this week. Uh, in the Champions League, we already have Juventus through. Uh, it looks like Inter are probably going to go out. Uh, but Jake, uh, Lazio have the chance to wrap up qualification. They've got a tough game away at Dortmund. Uh, Atalanta can put themselves in a strong position there at home to Midtjylland. Uh, do you expect Lazio and Atalanta to come away with positive results this week to put themselves well on course for qualification? Uh, I think Lazio are in quite a good position. Um, I think they can possibly afford to go into that game knowing that anything they can get from that be positive. So, uh, you know, they've already, they've already managed a positive result against Dortmund already in this qualification uh, process. So, you know, they'll be confident enough. They can come away with a point that probably will do them. Um, Atalanta is must win. You know, they're level on points with Ajax and Midtjylland's the easiest game they've got left. You know, they know that Ajax have got to play Liverpool who will be a bit wounded after, you know, events of the past week. So, um, I back them both to get decent results. I think Atalanta will get the win. I think Lazio might manage a draw. Um, but either way, it should put them both in a really strong position to make the next round. Um, you know, not so much in Inter's case, however. Yeah, it doesn't look great for Inter. And then, of course, on Thursday night, we have Europa League. Uh, Roma have already secured qualification and Napoli and Milan have the chance to do the same uh, this week. Tom, do you expect um, Napoli and Milan to uh, book their passage into the last 32 or do you think they might have to be waiting until the final match day next week? It's difficult, difficult to say, I reckon, because as Alcamar have been doing surprisingly well, in the group, uh, in Napoli's group. So that's going to be a tough game for Napoli. However, based on their performances in the league, you know, like against Roma, for example, last week, I mean, surely they they should be able to be uh, as Alkmaar. While Milan, well, Milan are playing Celtic. So Celtic are bottom of the group. On paper, the biggest rival is uh, Sparta Prague. And, you know, I think, I don't know, are they playing... 
Sparta Prague? Yeah, I think they're playing Sparta Prague later on. So yep. you don't really want that to be the type, you know, the decider whether who's going to through. So I think they might want to hope Lille that, you know, Lille beats Sparta Prague and they get the job done in Celtic. So the game against Sparta Prague has no, doesn't really have any weight. Yeah, of course, Celtic have, uh, have been on a horrible run lately. So Milan will be confident of picking up a win at home to them. And, and that should hopefully get the job done. Okay, well, thanks a lot for joining me, guys, as always. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you again soon. Um, have a good evening. Good night. Bye-bye.